So today, we're talking about love, which I think is fitting, because Anne was someone who's full of love. I think every one of you who's remembering her in this moment remembers her with a smile on her face, like the sweetest smile. So as we think about love, I wonder if you would say that love is what permeates the world that we live in. Like as you think about the news, as you think about what you see on social media, as you read news articles and newspapers, would you say that it's love that we see that captivates the world? What are the sentiments that you would say that we see? Just shout them out. Anyone say something that you think the world is kind of full of? Hate, yeah. What did you say? Pain, yes. Fear, absolutely, especially right now. Yeah, anger, outrage, confusion, I think, are the things that we see the most. So now, kind of turning the page, I want you to think about your favorite movies and your favorite books. What are they kind of telling stories of? My favorite book, I think I've mentioned it before, is called Hind's Feet on High Places. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever read that book, but it's amazing. You should. Um, but it's a story of a girl named, her name is Much Afraid, and she goes throughout her life kind of trying to find love, not romantic love, but love that will tell her who she is and what she was created for. And so the book is just a story of her figuring out how to find the source of love. And then I think about movies. Think about your favorite movie. One of my favorites is the Disney movie Moana. Because, um, like, I like to think that I'm a little like her. But Mo Moana, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it because it's four years old and you should have seen it by now if you wanted to see it. Um, so Moana is like the story of this brave girl who loves she loves self-sacrificially, and her love kind of changes the story. And if she hadn't have gone forth with such a deep love for this other person who is not being very kind, it would have ended differently. And so as we think about the stories that we kind of really connect with and resonate with, often there's an aspect of love to them. Even if we think about drama or science fiction, generally there's love to the story. Maybe it's not romantic love. Maybe it's love of humankind or love of another person or love of a cause. But we see that as a force. The stories that we're drawn to have this force of love to be reckoned with. And I think um, Hollywood kind of knows that humans are created for love that we search for love, that we try to find love, we try to spread love. And so they kind of capitalize on that, as we see in our movies and our books. But as we look around the world, we really resonate with this idea of love, but we don't see that kind of working itself out. So that's a little bit puzzling that as humans, in general, something in us 
just aligns with love, but we have a hard time figuring out what that looks like functionally. And I think often we've trusted the world to tell us what love looks like instead of trusting the source of love, which is God. I think that's why we see that kind of gap between what we long for and what we see working out, even in our own selves, where sometimes our actions are not permeated with love. And so today, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Some of you are moving, so I'll let you get to your place. it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how now is the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul is writing this letter in Romans um, to the church in Romans. And what, just a little backstory, what was kind of happening there is there were two groups. There were the Jewish Christians And then there were the Gentile Christians. Gentile just being anyone who's not Jewish, basically. And so the Jewish Christians kind of had this idea that you were saved by what you do. They had the law that they would have had often memorized. um, And the way that they stayed right with God was to keep the law. So these are Jews who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they still had this old life of learning the law, trying to keep the law. And so there was this idea of legalism. And what that's called is orthopraxic way of thinking, that what you do is what saves you. And then there were the Gentile Christians. So the Gentiles would have been from any number of religions, They may have known about the Mosaic Law, but they would have been much more ready to accept grace, which means Jesus died for you, you can accept it. What you believe is what saves you. And so that's called orthodoxic way of thinking. What you believe is what saves you. Meeting outside. Um, And so Paul in Romans kind of puts these things together. He says that Christianity is both orthodoxic and orthopraxic, meaning that it matters what you believe and it matters what you do. That what you believe about Jesus 
is supposed to change, transform that which you do. And so we would say that Christianity is both orthodoxic and orthopraxic. So you can tell people that's what you learned in church today, those $100 words. Hopefully you'll learn a little more. So Paul spends the majority of Romans up until this point, this is chapter 13 where we're reading, the majority of it he's talking about grace. He's saying, Jesus died for you. You can't get to heaven by yourself. You can't be right with God by yourself. You can't earn it. So he spends his whole time talking about grace. And here in chapter 13, he kind of turns a little bit and puts grace together with the law. So here in verse 8, Paul says, we owe nothing to anyone. So he's talking about grace. You don't owe anything to anyone because Jesus has done it all. But the one thing he says we do owe to each other is love. And so what does that mean? Like, what does that even look like that we would owe each other love and why? And so I want to kind of tell you a little story that I think illustrates it. Imagine that I live in a place where water is very far from me. And that's the majority of the world. People have to kind of walk for a long way to get water. Um, Derek Miller goes to El Salvador to build wells for people who have to walk a long way to get water. So imagine that I live in one of those places. I'm walking to get water, this toilsome work that I have to do every day for my family. And a man comes up and says, oh, hey, I can build a well in your backyard. Do you want me to do that? You can have water whenever you want it. I would be like, yes, I do. Would you do that? And so this man builds a well in my backyard, and I no longer have to walk for water. So the next day, I wake up, and I see my neighbor next door. And she's, like, working and cooking and doing all the stuff, sweating. It's hot. And I can tell that she's thirsty and that she's going to have to go get water. And so do I owe it to her to let her use my well? Because I've got this endless source of water, or should I just let her, you know, do her thing? I don't have to tell anybody. I could keep it to myself. I think most of us would say, you should let her use your well, right? I owe it to her. I've got this endless source. I owe it to her to share it. I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says we owe love to one another. That Jesus is this endless source of love, that we can have as much as we can tolerate of God's love. And because of that, we should be conduits of that love, that we should be people who share love with the people around us because we have so much of it, we owe it to the people who don't have it. I don't think that often we're filled up enough with the love of Christ to be able to share it, but that's another sermon for another day. Paul assumes that we are and that we have enough to share. So Paul goes a little bit further to bring the two sides together, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, the law and grace. He says at the end of verse 8, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. 
love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore. Love is fulfilling the law. So he's bringing law and grace together. And I think this kind of love is different from the kind of love that we usually think of or that we see in the world because it's based in God's word. That it's not just this kind of thing that we think we should do. It's not just this abstract thought, but it's based in something very tangible, God's word, the commandments. And I think as I talked about, hum humanity is enamored with the idea of love, but we often don't see it working out. And I think too often our idea of love is completely removed from the source of love and figuring out where that even comes from, you know, from God's word. In one of the commentaries I was reading as I was preparing for today, I loved what this author said. He said, Love must be rooted in the word and commandments or else any action could be construed as love. So if, it, if love isn't tethered to something very tangible, if we can't look and say, okay, I can see that this is what love is, then anything we do, we could say is loving, right? Are you with me? I think we see that kind of working in the world today, and I think we're really confused often about what love is and what that looks like. So I'm going to give you some examples and see if any of these kind of strike a chord. I think often we might say that love could be expressing ourselves sexually with our partner when we both feel ready, when we're both consenting and ready to do that. One way of loving would be to go ahead and express ourselves sexually. Is love agreeing with your friends even though you know that they're wrong because you don't want to be misunderstood? And so you just, you know, hold them up or support your friend even though they're doing the wrong thing? Is love serving in the church or in your kid's extracurricular activity or at your job even though you kind of have a bitter heart about it and think that you're the only one who ever does anything? You go home after serving and complain to your spouse or whoever will listen about how you're the only one who does everything. Is love ghosting someone who offends you because you don't want to bring it up and so you don't want to enter that awkward situation and so you just stop talking to them? Is that love? I would say that none of those things are love. But I think I could find lots of people who would argue or justify that those are loving actions. So that's what I mean. Love is not as subjective as we would like to think it is. The Bible talks about each of those situations. I think you could, I can make an argument that you can find clear um, advice or commandments about how you should, what you should do in each of those things. God is the origination and the source of love. And everything counter to his ways, whatever they are, they're not love. It's counterfeit. So Paul here says to the Jewish Christian, love is the way to really fulfill the commandments. You're trying to fill the commandments, fulfill the commandments, and the way to do that is through love. 
And he says to the Gentile Christian who's really able to accept grace, you have to do things. Fulfilling the commandment is the way that you love people. They're two sides of the same coin. They go together. We can't separate them. It matters what we do and what we believe. And what we believe should change what we do. Bob Goff, who I love, wrote a book a couple years ago called Love Does. And I've not read the book. I'm sure it's fantastic. But I think, as I think about that title, I think it maybe could have been Love Does What God Says. Not just making up things to do, but that love is doing what God would say to do. Love of one another, so my love for you, is meant to be married to our love of God. We can't separate those things. And if we do, it's really not love. Love is never self-serving. And I think if we really allowed God to kind of examine our hearts about the things that we do that are, we would call loving, often we do them for ourselves more than other people. I think we lower our sexual standards because we feel like temptation is really hard to come against or we don't want to let down the person that we're with, or we don't trust that God actually knows best what we should do, knows better than us. And so we kind of just do what we think is best. We agree with our friends even though we know they're wrong because we don't want to feel uncomfortable in conflict, and we don't trust that even if that person would abandon us because of that, God can heal our hearts. We serve with a bitter heart in church or at work or wherever, often because we want people to adore us and think that we're good. Not because God's telling us to, but because we really care what other people think about us. All these things we would call love, right, in one, in one circumstance. We ghost friends who offend us because we don't want to say anything that might hurt their feelings. We don't want to be misunderstood. We don't trust that God can mend the relationship. And so we just cut it off. And I think some people might call that loving. That's not God, what God would call loving. Often our actions can be easily justified as love. But Paul reminds us that it's only love if it's what God calls us to do, if it's what God would do. And so how do we figure that out? How do we figure it out, what it means to love people? Well, we spend time with Jesus. That's how. Scripture is full, full of commandments, examples, models of love. And as we spend time with Jesus, as we read about him in the scriptures and read about things that are taught about him and how we should behave, we begin to understand the character of God. As we spend time with him, we kind of understand the will of God. As we kind of bring the things that cloud our minds out, he reveals himself to us. 
So scripture is like the number one way that we can know how to love each other. But there are times when something happens that's not clearly outlined in scripture. And so Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that can guide us in right and wrong. More than that, he gives us the community of believers who can help us figure out the full counsel of God. And so often, if you're wondering what your motivations are, you need to get people around you who will tell you the truth and who love you. And usually it's much easier for them to see your motivations than for you to see your own. And so we have all these ways that we can really know what love is. We shouldn't just trust what the world tells us. We spend a lot of time taking in messages about love, like all day, every day. The world is full of them. Even if you're not intentional to be taking them in, the world is constantly telling us what love looks like, how to act, how we can be loving. But if we just trust what we think should be right, often we do it wrong. It's not rooted in what God says. We're not loving people the right way, or at all, really. And if we're doing things that are not motivated by God, if we're just loving people of our own strength and power, that actually hurts people. Very often, we're trying to be loving or trying to be helpful, but it can be really, really hurtful. So here at the end, after Paul kind of lays out, yes, the law and love, they go hand in hand, that love has to be rooted in God's word, at the end here of this section, he kind of gives them a battle speech. So he's telling them how to love each other, and then he goes on to say that the time of our salvation, meaning the time when Jesus comes back to make everything new again, is near. And as I was preparing last night, it made me kind of think about Anne, about how when she found out that she was sick, she didn't know she only had a few weeks to live. And the fact of the matter is none of us really know how much longer we have. Be it if passing on or Jesus coming back, we don't know how much time there is. I don't, I'm not usually a fire and brimstone, but th that's the truth. We don't know. The fact is that today, we are one day closer to that, to that end, whatever it looks like, than we were yesterday, right? Time moves on, and we're closer. And what I really sense God is doing right now in the world is that he's drawing people to himself, that he's, I really think now is a time when he's breaking down walls that people have put up against him, that people are open to the things of the Lord, that people are searching and seeking for something real to grab a hold of. And God is doing that really hard work in people's hearts. And that he's just looking for people who will say, hmm, seems like God's doing something here. I will step into that. I think he's inviting us into working with him as he kind of brings and draws people to himself. We just need to be willing 
to do that and connected to him so that we can see what he's doing. In order to be connected to God, we need to know his character. So as we're spending time in scripture, we begin to know kind of the ways that God moves. Not that God's ever predictable. He's not. But we begin to be able to recognize the moves of the Lord and the things that he does. Think about your good friend or your partner or your spouse. Aren't there times, I know there are times in my house, when I know what you're about to do just because of the way you looked at me or the way you moved, the way you shook your head or whatever. I know what you're about to do right now or what you're about to say because I've spent time. I've spent 16 years with Derek figuring out what his next move is. And sometimes I know it better than him. Um, But it's the same way with the Lord. As you spend time with God, you begin to understand the ways he works and the ways he moves and what he might do next. And so we need to be so connected with him so that we can see those things and be willing to just answer his invitation As we move into homes, I really think this is an opportunity for us to invite people who would not come here. Invite people who are hungry and who are searching and who need something. I think often I really have a sense that people who you thought would never answer that invitation will come. I really think God's doing something really cool here. Or someone who's having a hard day You might just offer a prayer for them or tell them something encouraging that God loves them. Just the other day, I was checking out at the the Dollar Tree, and I was just, like, trying to get out of there. And the lady, it was a girl, she was, like, in her 20s, um, she, I asked her how she was doing, because that's what I always do. She was like, I'm having a terrible day, and she went on for five minutes about how terrible her day was. And I was not thinking about that, to be perfectly honest. And so at the end of her telling me how terrible her day was, I recognized that God was doing something. And so I just said, can I pray for you? And she was like, yes. <laughs> so I prayed for her, and that was it. Like, I don't know if, what God's doing with that, but I think that's just an example of people who are hungry for the Lord. She needed something to grab onto. And her face changed as I left. I felt like the strength of the Lord. She could, like, get through her shift because of that prayer. Not because of anything I did, but because God was already doing something, and I accepted his invitation into it. So that's a cool thing that I think that God is doing all over, all over the city. And I want us to be people who are looking for that. And so at the end of this section of Scripture... Like I said, Paul kind of gives the Romans a sort of battle speech. I imagine him like on Braveheart, on the horse, like going back and forth with the sword, like getting people ready for the thing. Um, That's probably not, he was just writing, it's probably not how it went, but kind of imagine that sort of energy, if you will. Um, So I'm going to read this last part over us before we enter into communion, and I want you to just kind of take in the words. I really feel like these are words that God's speaking to us right now in this time. Besides this, you know what time it is. How now is the moment for you to wake from sleep. 
For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, and the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires.